Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of BibleQuest.tv. We're glad you're able to join us today on this Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. And I'm Drew, your host, and with me is Stephen Rouse. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Drew. How are you? Welcome, everybody. Uh, good to see you. I also, let's see now, Stephen, you are in Harrisburg. That's right? correct. Okay. And uh, from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, we have Scott. Scott, how you doing? Doing all right, Drew. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic, thank you. And uh, from Exton, Pennsylvania, Jeff. Good afternoon, everyone. And I'm glad you're here. Now, I don't know. I'm not seeing everybody on the on my video panel, but I hear you. But that's okay. And then Jonathan, our web along here. How you doing, Jonathan? <clears throat> doing really well. How are you guys? And I'm really glad you guys are back. From your your trip last week, you were all out at the same place, as far as I recall, right? Right. Um, if you're joining us through the app, the Zoom app coming in on Bible TV, you we request that you open up the Q and A button. There's a little button. Click it. Brings up the little Q and A box and enter your questions. Text text your questions in, or if you want, raise your hand by hitting that hand icon up there tells us you'd like to come on audio and, and ask your questions across uh, your speaker i'm sorry your computer and we can hear you uh if you're coming in and watching us through steven's uh, facebook page Steven? questions on the I feel like I'm about to get hit by a truck. <laughs> yeah, you got to say that again because I, that truck overpowered you. Say I that think, again. I think we need to throw somebody under the truck. <laughs> hey, Luke. There's a whole bunch of them coming by today. So, uh, yeah, if you're joining us to the Facebook page, please feel free to leave your comments and questions uh, in the comments below, and we'll get to those as they come in. Excellent. Okay, so we have uh, an interesting title today. Um, we normally don't even say give a title, but we do for the recordings, the podcast and all. But today's title is Pentecost Swords and Music. And Is there a connection there, guys? What are we going to do here? <laughs> I think the connection is those are the three questions we have. Uh, that's there right. we go. Three separate questions, not really related to each other at all. Non sequiturs. All right, let's Let, go. Let's see if we can come up with some creative segues. Yeah, that's going to be challenging. That's pretty... Okay, so here's the first question. Comes in from Jane. Uh, she says, in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, I had always understood that all the apostles received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, verse 4. And all of them were preaching, verse 11, although we only have Peter's sermon in the Scripture. However, in a class, another person insisted that only Peter spoke because Jesus gave him the keys of the kingdom, Matthew 16. I'd never heard this objection before. Could you discuss it, please? Good question. Where are we going with that? Well, let's go to the text first, Acts chapter 2. It's always helpful to, of course, go first to what the scriptures actually say and don't say and be able to clarify that. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And then it goes into detail about the people who are in Jerusalem in verses 5 through 13. And then in verse 14, it says this. This is Acts 2, 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he continues his sermon from there. So what can we tell from this text about who is speaking and maybe who's not speaking? Well, it says in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. So it looks pretty clear that it wasn't just Peter who was speaking, even though we have his his words prominently recorded. Um, so I think there's something to be said about the idea that uh, there's a connection here, I believe, with Peter uh, having the keys of the kingdom of heaven, although that's not even itself something that was uniquely true of Peter. Um, but I guess the main thing I want to say is verse four seems to make it very clear. Peter was not the only one speaking. Yeah. And again, I didn't read this verse, but in verse 11 and listing the different people, it says with Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. So Peter was not the only one speaking according to verse 11 as well. And we might suppose that uh, what Peter says, starting in verse uh, 16, uh, or starting in verse 14, that there Peter begins to speak singly, but prior to that, clearly many have been speaking. Yeah, so clearly before verse 14, it's, as it says in verse 11, we hear them speaking. And then in verse 14, because they're all asked, what's their question? They want to know, what does this mean? Uh, and uh, it's at the end of verse 12. Peter answers that question, starting in verse 14, and it's Peter. Uh, there's a couple of clues in here, perhaps, and there's some information we don't know. But as Stephen said, going by the text, how does it read in verse 14? Peter doing what? Standing with the eleven. Yeah, so the 11 are there. Does it tell us if Peter is the only one speaking for sure or if there is some communication coming from the 11? What we know for sure is that Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice. So at this yeah. point, they're all there, but Peter seems to be being singled out and speaking. Go ahead, Stephen. And BJ comes in with a comment. He says in verse uh, 15, for these people are not drunk, as you mm -hmm. suppose. Yep, and right. so Peter himself is pointing out they're all speaking in these different languages, and people are saying, oh, they're filled with new wine, and, and Peter's having to clarify, he's not the only one who's been speaking. And so uh, he says, these people are not drunk. Yeah. Thanks, BJ. Now there's also this. Look at verse 37. When, after Peter has spoken... And he's gone through Joel 2. He's gone through reminding them of the miracles Jesus did. He's gone through Psalm 16 about the Holy One not staying in the grave. He's gone through that that's not David. It's the Christ. He's gone through that that is Jesus. He's risen. He's at the right hand. He poured this out. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom he crucified. So that's Peter speaking. Believe verse 37. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to, to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Yeah. 
Uh, so what role might they have played there in, in this? Translating, maybe? Possibly? Yeah, perhaps so. Um, and it, it just goes beyond the text to know. What we know from the text is <laughs> previous to verse 14, they were all speaking. Mm -hmm. After that, we see Peter lifting up his voice with the 11, and then the question is posed to Peter and the 11. And let, let's consider the possibility of what Jeff said on translating. Um, what language might Peter have spoken that everybody could have understood? Greek, I suppose. Or on that day, I mean, I guess Aramaic or Hebrew for the Jews. Well, we get to the Hellenist Jews uh, and um, in Acts 6. And Jeff, you might know the answer to this. My impression is it one of the differences between the Hebrew Jews and the Hellenist Jews, besides things like how they dress and different social accommodations, would be that the Hebrews spoke Aramaic and the Grecian Jews spoke Greek. Would that be correct? I have the impression that that may well be true. Not that the not necessarily that the Hebrews couldn't understand Greek or weren't able to speak Greek. Right. Right. They would choose to, you know, I was in, I was in um, Moldova one time, and uh, there were some sisters there in a Bible study, and in Moldova, there are two languages uh, that are prominent. One is Russian and, and one right. is Romanian, and you say something about your allegiance, depending on which language you use, and it's a, it's a cultural and political divide in that country, and an argument broke out in the Bible study uh, when one woman chose to speak in Russian and another woman objected, or maybe it was the other way around, you know, she knows Romanian or whichever way it was. She knows she could have spoken in, in, in this language, but she chose to speak in that one. And maybe that helps to illustrate why when there were some Jews who resented the influence of Greek culture would choose to speak in Hebrew. And, and this would kind of create this divide between the Hellenists and the and the Hebrews that we got in Acts 6. Uh, I, I want to go back just a little bit more to that question. Maybe it's more basic. I want to break it down a little bit more. How do, uh, It says there, another person in that class said that only Peter spoke because. So how does that person that asked that question, that how do they know that only Peter spoke? Because it wasn't written that all the other apostles, one after the other, spoke. So would that be what it would take for someone to say that, they know all of them spoke because here's, they recorded this, they recorded, they said this, they, but they would have been saying the same thing. So I have a hard time with someone asking the question, understanding their question that only Peter spoke because that's all it was written. How do we know that? And, and I don't think we know that, but we do have that Peter is singled out because clearly after talking about uh, them all, uh, verse 7, are not all these that speak Galileans. Yeah, that's and, the key right uh, there, all that speak. Yeah, now, that's before the sermon. That's when they're praising God, and it's getting the people's attention. Okay. And then they want to know, how are they speaking in all these different languages? They're speaking in the languages of the countries that we were born in. How are these Galileans doing that? Verse 14, Peter standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and spoke forth. So he's definitely singled out as the speaker. 
But to be able to say that that means nobody else said anything else is, I think, going beyond what the text says. So the, the original question uh, describes somebody linking Peter being the spokesman with Peter having the keys of the kingdom and, and references Mark's, uh, Matthew 16, 19. And in Matthew 16, 19, Jesus says to Peter, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then he adds, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Those two ideas are related, having the keys of the kingdom of heaven and binding what's been bound in heaven and loosing what's been loosed in heaven. We turn over to Matthew chapter 18, and there, speaking not just to Peter, Jesus says in verse 18, Verily I say unto you that whatsoever things ye, you plural, shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What things soever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, uh, Peter, I think, illustrates in Acts 2 that he has that in as much as he preaches to the audience there what they need to do to have forgiveness of sins so that they can have eternal life in heaven. And yet that's not something that was unique to Peter. It is, I think, fair to say, uh, and you guys can comment on this, that Peter does play a prominent role. Matthew 16 probably points to that prominent role. Uh, if you think about the book of Acts, the first half, Peter's prominent, the second half, Paul's prominent. Paul is referred to as the apostle to the uncircumcision, and in Galatians 2, Paul compares himself thus to Peter, who, ha- who was the apostle to the circumcision. So I think it's fair to say Peter has a prominent role, but he did not uniquely have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The, uh, I would say on Matthew 16 and 18, he certainly does not uniquely have the authority to bind and loose because that, uh, which is, can look similar to the keys, that's exactly repeated in Matthew 18 to yeah. all the apostles. And by the way, uh, if you're using a modern translation, you might not realize why you would know that in chapter 18, it's all the apostles. Uh, but it is, and that's based on uh, the you there is in the plural. So in Greek, you can tell if you is in singular or plural. Uh, in modern English, above the Mason-Dixon, you can't. You can be 100 people or you can be one person. Down south, where they know how to do it right, it's you and y'all. So, That's right. Or in the King uh, James and the Old American Standard, which says ye. <laughs> there you go. So if you have the King James or the American Standard, you'll see the difference between you will bind and loose, and then the other one is ye, or Alabama version y'all. Uh, so, That's right. But the keys, that expression is only used. There are some things in Matthew 16 that are specifically to Peter. For instance, he says, I say to you, you are Peter. Well, that's not, Peter's the one that had responded, you're the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus responds back, and you are Peter, son of Jonah. There's a whole lot of wordplay in this section. That part's to Peter. And on this rock, Peter means rock. And so some of it's specific to Peter. And the the keys, you use a key to open something. Who preaches the gospel in Acts 2 that opens it to the Jews. Peter. Who preaches the gospel and opens it to the Gentiles in Acts 10? Peter. Peter. Even though Paul will become more prominent 
as the apostle to the Gentiles and Peter still to the Jews, Galatians 2. It's like Peter said in Acts 15, when the question of circumcision was being assessed, he says, you'll recall a while ago that God chose me to present it, you know, to the Gentiles. So he's the one that unlocked it, you know, with that, the gospel delivery to the Jew and then uh, to the Gentile. So, Scott, it's kind of interesting. I, you, I think what you're suggesting is that I was connecting the expression keys uh, with having the power to loose and bind. Um, I think you're, you're connecting the idea of keys with the very beginning of the church and the beginning of Gentiles coming into the kingdom and thus connecting that specifically with Peter as opposed to all of the apostles. Am I understanding you right? Yes, I, I'm inclined to think that way, and it's not, it's not exactly parallel, but it's kind of the opposite of what he said about the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. He said, you don't enter in, and you don't allow other people to enter in. But Peter's role is going to be, he's the one that unlocks the door so that people can start entering in. Now, for instance, after he unlocks the door to the Gentiles, uh, that, let's, let's read that in Acts 15, because uh, he, he specifically makes mention of that. He says, brethren, this is Acts 15, verse 7. Uh, when there had been much questioning, Peter rose up and said, brethren, you know that a good while ago, God made choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of God, the gospel, and believe. So, so let me. Uh, now that was followed with. Go ahead. So let me throw a follow-up question then. So, should we think Peter's the first pope? No. Uh, opening the door is not. You're not the pope. You're, you're the doorman. Yes, doorman. Barnabas is going to do a lot with the Gentiles. Paul is going to do, uh, as he said in 1 Corinthians 15, labor more. In fact, by Galatians 2, he's going to acknowledge that the apostles in Jerusalem realized Peter was working with Jews and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So Peter was chosen, as he said here, by God to open that door or, or to present that word to the Gentiles. Go ahead, Stephen. I just think it's so important to remember to not read too much into that phrase keys of the kingdom, that there's a lot of different groups that want to take that and just run with it in some way that seems good to them. But when we see the role of Peter in the rest of the book of Acts and even into the epistles, yeah. uh, we see that Peter is not regarded as, you know, this head of all the other apostles, but even in Acts 15, the passage you were just talking about, you know, Peter speaks up, but then Paul and Barnabas speaks up, and James, James speaks up. brings up Amos 9, and that seems to be the final word of the matter. The word of God agrees with this, and so we're going to send this letter. And James seems to be perhaps yeah. one of the ones who helps write that letter yeah. to the, the Christians in other places. Peter, when he writes his first and second letters to the Christians, he doesn't say, Peter, the earthly head of the church. You know, I mean, he, he just says a servant of Christ Jesus. And so uh, you've got just looking at the new Testament, seeing that the way Peter acts is not as a Pope in the rest of the new Testament. So just to put some bullets to it, uh, contrasting Peter with the modern day Pope, 
uh, in Acts 10 and verse 25, when he comes to Cornelius' house, Cornelius, Cornelius fell down at his feet right. and worshipped. And Peter said, see, thou do it not. I'm just a man. But people right. bow down and poke today. And right. Peter uh, was regarded as Paul's equal in the sense that Peter was the apostle to the circumcision, Paul to the uncircumcision. He wasn't the guy over the universal church. Um, thirdly, Peter had a wife. He had a mother-in-law. That usually implies a wife. Uh, in Mark chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 9, um, it mentions Peter, uh, Peter's mother-in-law being healed. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul rebuked Peter. Uh, generally speaking, the concept people have of the Pope today, he's not somebody that someone else is supposed to be rebuking. So just some bullets there. <clears throat> Let's, um, I want to make one more note about languages there, and then I'm going to try an awkward segue to our next question. <laughs> uh, but back to the, the language that Peter might have, been speaking. If I was going to take a stab of it, I'm, I might think he's speaking Greek. And this might give some credence to the idea that Jeff suggested maybe some of the other apostles are translating. Perhaps so. The text doesn't say that, but it does say they responded to Peter and the other apostles. And one reason that some translation might have been needed is even though Greek was the common language, so you would expect that somebody from Rome would speak Latin and Greek. Uh, probably a number of Jews could speak Latin and Greek. Uh, so you might think, well, everybody could speak Greek. No, they couldn't. Because uh, do you remember the occasion when Paul is arrested after the third missionary journey? And they grab him, and they made a mistake of thinking he's who? The assassins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Paul speaks in Greek. And do, do you remember what the guy says? He, he was uh, surprised. Oh, you speak Greek? He didn't think this guy who was the assassin would be speaking Greek. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So in Acts 22, 37, uh, he, said, so he said, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian? So not everybody spoke Greek. So it might have been that some of the other apostles are, are translating it. And of course, with the gift of tongues, that would be easy enough for them to do into various languages for the people. Just oh, that, so here's this. Oh, go ahead. And then I'm anxious for my segue. All right, go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> well, just brief, stepping back and looking at Acts 2, of course, this is the beginning of the church. It begins on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was one of the feasts, the annual feast the Jews had. Another one of the annual feasts was Passover. And they were separated by seven weeks or 50 days. Passover came first. And then Pentecost came about seven weeks later. And Pentecost, the word Pentecost means 50, 50. It's the number 50. And it's also called the Feast of Weeks because it was the day after the seventh Sabbath or seven weeks from the wave offering that was associated with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which came immediately after Passover. So let me see if I can make this uh, observation real quick quickly here. Let's see here. I want to slideshow. I want to start from current slide. And then I've got to share my screen, which means that I've got to alt tab back to here. This is quite a process, folks. You don't have <laughs> take to do this. All right. So the Passover, um, the Passover 
was a feast where followed immediately by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they're closely related. And during that Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were bringing the sheaf of the first fruits of their harvest. Then when we come to Pentecost here in Leviticus 23, and down in verse 17, at the Feast of Weeks, they were to bring in uh, an offering of baked bread, and that was also as first fruits. We think of first fruits as being the very first of a harvest. It's a little confusing because if there's seven weeks between the two and the first fruits came in back in March or April at time of Passover, and now seven weeks later, we've still got first fruits. Well, there's this observation, and that is the barley harvest came in around the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. So you'd had first fruits associated with barley harvest. And then the wheat harvest comes in around the time of Pentecost or the Feast of Wheat. So you'd have more first fruits there. So you have these two Old Testament oh, okay. separated by 50 days. <clears throat> and we know, and we've talked about, I'm sure, in the past on this webcast, that the Passover foreshadows Jesus' death and resurrection. Not only is Jesus crucified at the time of Passover, he eats the Passover supper the night before he's crucified, just as the Passover began right. with the Jews putting the blood on the doorpost and the lintel and thus being saved from death by the blood of the lamb, um, Jesus saves us from death. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's our Passover. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Well, then 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, we have Acts 2 where we have the beginning of the church. And it's on the day of Pentecost. Well, when you look at Christ, the first fruits in Acts 15, 23, there was a, a wave offering of the first fruits at the time of Passover and unleavened bread. But in the New Testament, we see uh, something that suggests that Pentecost is connected with the beginning of the church, not just because it's at the same time on the calendar, but that there's some significance with regard to first fruits. Uh, James refers to his readers as first fruits. Jewish believers were first fruits. Epinidus was a first fruits of Asia. House of Stephanus, first fruits of Achaia. I assume that means they were among the first converts there. I'm not going to talk about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 right here. But the idea is that we can speak of Christians in a particular place or even Christians uh, at Acts 2 as being the first fruits, the beginning of people coming to Christ. So it's the first fruits in a little different sense. Christ is the first fruits from the dead, but we th I think we can speak of Christians in Acts 2, those who are converted as being first fruits. And so now you have this interesting parallel, these two feasts in the Old Testament, each being a first feast of first fruits. The first points to Jesus, who is the first fruits from the dead. The second points to the beginning of the church, where you have the first fruits people being converted. So I just thought I'd mention that very, very quickly here, and then I'll stop sharing. Just a heads up, yeah, go, put that back on, please, for a second. On Facebook says that the sound is gone. I'm not sure if that's for everybody, um, but this program's not gonna do very much good if our sound is not working. So, yeah, somebody else in Facebook, give us another confirmation on that. If that's uh, yeah, right. Or give us a confirmation that the sound is not gone if you're hearing us. There, that's what I meant. Yes, can you, can you hear us? Testing one now. two. Sound like a Verizon commercial. <laughs> can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Well, we're asking if they can hear us, and nobody's answering. On, that is on Facebook, not a good sign. They, they cannot hear us. What Hang about what second. about those on uh, our Zoom app? Can you hear us? 
just put put a put okay a, on yeah. Zoom. They can hear. Yeah, they're hearing us on Zoom. All right, good. All right, and can you hear on Facebook? Anybody on Facebook? Can you hear? Uh, yes, we do have people saying yes. Okay. okay. All right, so All right, Jeff. Point of clarification. Back on that chart. Interesting point about the first fruits, and uh, interesting point about the, the the different harvests as well and such. There was one thing on there that looked confusing to me. So if you could just clear it up, because somebody else might have been looking at it the way I was looking at it. Okay. The way the chart looked to my eyes, if we can get it back up there. Yeah, I'll get it back up there. Um, and, and while it's coming up, uh, maybe what does the word Pentecost mean? 50. You don't have the word Pentecost in the Old Testament. So 50. the derivation of it is... 50. Uh, 50. So there's that 50. It looks like from that chart that it's saying there was 50 days from Passover until Jesus' death and resurrection. And then it looks like, because of where the two red arrows are and the two 50 days, Mm -hmm. it looks like there's either 50 days from Pentecost to the beginning of the church or 50 days from Jesus' death and resurrection to the beginning of the church. And I know that's not what the chart means, but it's that second 50 days there. It, the, the way it looks on the chart, somebody could think that that means that there was 50 days between the death and resurrection to the beginning of the church or between Pentecost and the beginning of the church. So a little clarification there, please. Okay, so Jesus' death takes place at Passover time. And we've got 50 days from there till Acts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. I was getting confused there, uh, uh, Scott. You were starting to confuse me. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. So, yeah, so from Jesus' death, all right, so the first 50 days in, so from Passover to Jesus' death, it looks like there's 50 days. So let me let me back up and do this in order sorry. so you can see it develop. Yeah, and I, I said it wrong, I, so I made it more convoluted. So we've got Passover and Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, those Jewish feasts. There's 50 days between those two things. Right. And we know that Passover foreshadows Jesus' death. Right. Oh, I see. So that's, all right. So that's pointing forward to, so this is not a chronological order. It's not Pentecost is before Jesus' death, but the Passover is foreshadowed. No, this Pentecost here is not referring to Acts 2 Pentecost. This is referring to the, the Old Testament Feast of Pentecost, gotcha, 50 gotcha. days after right. Passover. Well, Passover right. foreshadows Jesus' death, and then from Jesus' death, there's 50 days till the beginning of the church, while right. the Old right. Testament Feast of Weeks foreshadows the beginning of the church, where there's more so your your chart is the first two is not the Passover and Pentecost of the New Testament, right. but the Old Testament establishment of them. Right. This these Second two. Right. So, right. 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 So right. I should label that Old Testament feasts here, foreshadowing these New Testament events. Right. Right. Very good. Very good. And 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 the way I was commenting on it, I was getting it tangled up and confused. Well, okay, Scott, and those days are you've got. Go ahead, Drew. Scott, this is an excellent place for your creative segue. Oh. <laughs> so in Acts 2, in Acts 2, yes, thank you for getting me out of trouble. In Acts 2, after Peter spoke, and there may or may not have been comments from other apostles helping out, 
the people that heard it were what? Cut to the heart. Cut to the heart, which brings us to swords. <laughs> now, I, I have to say, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was going to be the sword. <laughs> and speaking of swords, there's a sword in Luke 22. That is quite a segue. Okay, so what is the sword in, in, in Luke 22, Stephen? <laughs> well, let's go read the text. Shall we? There we go. So our next question comes from Jonathan, and the question is, what is the sword in this passage, Luke 22, 35 through 38? My hope is that sound out has continued to be a problem. <laughs> I'm afraid it hasn't, so... <laughs> I've got to tell you, though, Scott, have you ever made a point and in the middle of making the point or right after you made it, somebody asks a question and, and it just all of a sudden you panic and you think, did I get this totally, totally wrong? But you can't quite see what it is that's totally, totally wrong, right? Have you ever been there? And, and so uh, that, you, that, that type of thing. So when you started asking your question about that, PowerPoint presentation, the, the slides with the arrows and all, I thought, oh no, am I missing something obvious? Was was it only a week from Jesus' crucifixion until <laughs> the beginning of church? What did, what did I miss? <laughs> all right. And of course it's 50 days. You had the 40 days that he appeared and then the week. Oh, and let's just mention this. Passover was, I mean, Pentecost was on a Sunday. So it was that, the day after the seventh Sabbath. So you got the 50 days, 49 plus one, so it would have landed on something. Let's talk about a sword. Yeah, let's do it. So the text reads, Luke 22, 35 through 38. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So, of course, this passage gets cited as evidence that it's all right for us to kill people. Um, and and that's, that's kind of bizarre on several counts. Uh, one is that as you come on down in the text, um, Jesus is arrested and Peter tries to use a sword to keep Jesus from being taken and smote, verse 50, uh, the servant of the high priest and struck off his right ear and Jesus rebuked him. And uh, in one of the accounts, he, he says on this occasion, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. So then that leaves you wondering, and, and I imagine the apostles were wondering at this point. He just said when, you know, we need to get a sword, and we said we have two swords, and he said it's enough. And then when we go to use the sword, he says those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword and kind of get rebuked. So apparently they misunderstood Jesus. Or Jesus yeah. meant something else in that passage. And if we look at the text, it said that, let him sell his cloak and buy a sword for... I say to you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me, and he was reckoned with transgressors. Oh, wait a minute. So there's a connection saying, there. Wait a minute, Scott. Are you saying, therefore, that because they had the swords, they are now considered the transgressors? Well, listen to the language. Yeah. Uh, 
now he that hath a purse, let him take it, likewise a wallet. And he that hath none, let him sell his cloak and buy a sword. For I say to you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was reckoned with transgressors. So Jesus ties it directly into that. And then they said, we have two. He said, that's enough. So it's not, yeah, all 11 of you have to go get a sword. Now, the two is going to be enough. And by the way, how would Peter have looked when he whipped out a sword and went after the servant of the high priest? Like a transgressor. Is this from a Jewish point of view? The high priest, you know, uh, the, uh, or is it just one of the chief priests? I don't remember which it was. One of the chief priests, however, was the captain of the temple police force. But, you know, the high priest and, and orders gone forth from Sanhedrin, et cetera, go seize him. Um, and they come and one of the guys attacks the people that the priests have sent with a sword. That would look like a transgressor. Um, but yeah, Jesus put it away. Go ahead. So John eighteen ten says it was the high priest's servant. Okay, thanks. So uh, I used to think that this was a a proof text to say that we can defend ourselves, but as you're bringing it out, uh, and I've been reading it also in the past, is that this is the opposite. This is actually showing that this is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that he would be numbered among the, the um, transgressors, not necessarily one that shows that a Christian can use, um, uh, um, what do you call that, heavy-duty force to defend yourself? It's interesting, as we go through the book of Acts, we see Christians in danger a number of times. Um, we never see them using lethal force to uh, defend themselves, to protect themselves. Paul being stoned um, in Lystra, for example. Um, we, we don't see Christians doing what sometimes people today imply Luke 22 teaches. That is that you can defend yourself by killing someone. Yeah. There are times where God will strike people dead and, and protect them, but Christians are not the ones deal, dealing with that. Did you have a question, John? Uh-oh, we don't hear you again. Audio is not on. Audio is gone. Our audio is gone? No, no, just no, Jonathan. Just Jonathan. The last time, too, with Jonathan. He has been struck mute. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> um, it, and I want to I mention something, and it may, not be, it may not be the most significant point, but, but I want to mention this very, very, very briefly, and that is not just – if Jesus were saying you need a sword for some reason, that would not necessarily even in itself mean that it's all right to, to have a sword for the purpose of killing someone. I, I mentioned when we were talking about this a few weeks ago, if you go to Central America, it's common to see people carrying machetes. And they carry machetes, they use them for all sorts of things. They use them to cut their grass, they use them to cut corn, they use them as tools. It's just something that you routinely carry. My son used to carry a six-shooter when he lived in Wyoming. He wouldn't shoot somebody to kill them, but it was a tool that he needed in his work, um, killing prairie dogs, killing snakes, that sort of thing. And the, the word for sword, mak, makara, in, in the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament, 
was a word that was used for a wide variety of things and things that had multiple purposes. Um, certainly, you could use it of a soldier's sword, but even that could be used for multiple purposes. And there was the same word was used for cutting hair, and the same word. There's a passage in Aristotle where he talks about the difference between, and this is not very politically correct, but he talks about the difference between women and slaves, and that they have different purposes. Um, and he says it's not. He says for in nature there are distinct purposes. It's not like. And then he uses this word. He speaks specifically of the Delphic sword, which is designed to be used for all sorts of of purposes. It was a util, utilitarian device that yes could be used to kill somebody, but could also be used to cut up a, a piece of fruit. So it's also to- interesting to note. Jesus has been with the disciples for three years, and a sword's kind of a big thing. You know, he had not, when they went out the first time, he didn't say, take a sword, and he didn't say, don't take a sword. This time he says, this time, get a sword. And they said, here's two. So most of the disciples did not carry swords, but there were a couple of disciples that, that did and, and had been. And he said, that's enough. As, as, and if it were to defend themselves, that would have hardly been enough. When, when that crowd came with all the clubs and staves, two would not have been enough if that's what you're relying on. Steve. So we had a question come in from BJ about this. He says, is this a moment of irony then? As in the statement of Jesus is predictive of what will be fulfilled, even though how his disciples fulfill it betrays their own misunderstanding of what Jesus was all about. I think uh, that might sum it up. Yeah, so that phrase where he says he must, he was numbered with the transgressors. Uh, would you all say this is an kind of ironic use of that? All right, well, we've got about four minutes of the webcast left. Do, if we don't have an outstanding question, I don't know if we can get to music in four minutes. Yeah, why don't we, I think you're right. So we can get to that. Uh, we'll start with that uh, next Tuesday. Um, and the, you, didn't have, you, you, you didn't have a segue for that anyway today. I, I didn't have a segue. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Isn't there some saying about the sword singing? I never heard that one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you may be thinking of the singing bush in the Invisible Swordsman. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. We are really stretching it now. <laughs> okay, well... I mentioned earlier that my quality control guys are not really on board today. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. I, I, I neglected to mention that. Going, going back to Luke 22, though, let's make this observation. What is, what's the overall gist of what, what Jesus is saying, aside from the idea that there's fulfillment of prophecy here and being numbered with the transgressors? He had sent the 70 out earlier. He had told them, you don't need to take anything. But now it's going to be different. Verse 36, he said to them, but now he that has a purse, let him take it. Likewise, a wallet, he that hath none, let him sell his cloak and buy a sword. In general, it does seem he is giving them a message. Things are about to change. You're going to be, uh, you're going to be facing some new challenges and uh, you need to prepare yourselves for them. Would you say that's a, a fair take on just the thought here? I think so. It seems to be the main gist of what Jesus is trying to get across. And he'll have other words for the disciples and 
other passages, just trying to prepare them for the challenge that awaits them as they go out to spread the gospel. Scott? In John 16, the same evening, the same evening from the gospel of John, these things I've spoken unto you that you should not be caused to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the hour comes that whoever kills you shall think that he offers service to God. And these things will they do because they have not known the Father. But when that was happening, he wasn't calling them to have, you know, to fight back with, with swords against them. Stephen, you know, doesn't pull out a sword and go against the Sanhedrin. Uh, Saul of Tarsus was dragging men and women to prison. They weren't stabbing, trying to stab Saul to death. Uh, he was letting them, in this passage, he's letting them know what's going to happen to them. And at the end, he lets Peter know what's going to happen to him. His advice is not to uh, start killing the people that are persecuting them. And well, it's John eighteen thirty six. You know, are you a king? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then my servants would fight. All right, gentlemen, we're coming to, we are at the end of the program for today. I want to thank you for your uh, creative segue, Scott, and uh, also thank each and every one of you for your input and questions and comments. Uh, anything else before we close it out? Look forward Thanks to seeing you. Yeah, look forward to seeing you next week. And. Bye.